uh, if you're new to our church or if you've been here for 10 years and you just weren't paying attention, uh, there's a couple of things that you you need to know about our preaching philosophy uh, at Mountain Fellowship, and we're in a, a long uh, centuries-old vein of this. Uh, there's two terms that you need to know. Now, the sermon is kind of short today, so I, you're also getting a theological definition lesson. Okay? Free. There's, there's time. Uh, there's two terms you need to know. The first is expository, and the second is lectio continua. Now, already somebody's thinking, boring. <laughs> I know you are, but just hang with me. This is important in general, and it's also particularly important this morning. You see, lectio continua is just a Latin phrase that means continuous reading. And that's the way we normally preach uh, in the Reformed tradition in particular in Mountain Fellowship. We generally take a book of the Bible or a large passage, maybe a large chunk of Genesis or an entire epistle, and we just preach all the way through it. We just do a continuous reading. And that means that last week, Jimmy finished with Ephesians 3.19. This morning, I'm going to pick up with Ephesians 3.20. And next week, Jimmy will pick up with Ephesians 4.1. So that's a Lectio Continua reading. I am a huge proponent, probably overly passionate about it. But it has one weakness. And the weakness is this. You can lose the forest for the trees. Uh, we should and we do look at every text from every angle that we can. But after three months in Ephesians, uh, some of us have forgotten where we are. And so I'm hoping that with a little bit of background this morning, I can get us back to where we are so that we don't lose the amazing message that Paul has had for us in Ephesians 1 through 3. Now, expository preaching just comes from the word to expose, okay? So when we expound a text, we're just exposing the meaning of the text. We believe that the Scriptures are God's Word and that the very words of Scripture are His Word and that when we preach, all we should do is expose the meaning of the text. Now, listen carefully. That does not mean only a preacher can do this. You can sit down and you can read the scriptures for yourself and you can see the plain meaning. It's not written in code that only a preacher can decipher. But we want to preach an expository message. We want to expound the text so that we understand what it means and see how it applies to our lives. And so, this morning, I want to let the context of these few verses... Be the exposition. It's not that I don't want to preach verses 20 and 21. I do, and Lord willing, when I'm done, I will have. But you see, I had a problem this week. I read Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 probably a hundred times. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we think or ask, I mean, I read it over and over, and it did not lead me to glorify God. There was something in my heart that just wouldn't go there. And I realized it's because I'd forgotten where we've been. I forgot what it was that Paul was talking about that led him to burst into this doxology of praise, this praising word of God's glory. And so this morning, 
don't worry. It's not going to be long, but we're just going to glance back at where we've been for the last three months, and we're, going to, we're just going to glimpse ahead slightly. And when we do, I pray we will see the glory of God this morning. And we will join with Paul and truly experience this doxology of praise. Okay, that's your lesson for the morning. Now, let's turn to the text. Uh, please stand for the reading of God's Word from Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Before we start, I want to ask, does anyone not have a Bible that would like to have one? Uh, do we still have some Bibles in the back, Jimmy, do you think? Uh, if you need a Bible, we're going to be looking at several passages of Scripture. So if you don't have one with you and you want one, just raise your hand. We got one here? Thank you. All right. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, as we have looked down the corridor of time beyond what we can comprehend with Paul, we have seen that you have set your love on us in Christ. You have worked this great salvation in our lives in Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us this morning to catch a glimpse of the endless, matchless love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. In Christ we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Jimmy has some Bibles. If you want one, don't be shy. Don't be shy. Here's one. Okay. There are a number of ways the Scriptures refer to God and His work. Many of us, this side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we might think first as God of God as our Father. And others might think of him as a righteous judge or the sustainer of all life. He certainly is these things. But most importantly and most profoundly and most completely, Scripture reveals God as creator and redeemer. Now this concept that God is both creator and redeemer forms the bookends. For everything I want to say this morning. And I need you, I need you to lean in with me and pay careful attention to the story I'm about to tell. If you miss it, you will miss the point of the sermon. Okay? Last year, Jennifer Ford and I led the high school students through a study of biblical manhood and womanhood. And in the beginning of that study, we did an exercise in Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> I think some of our students will remember this as I describe it. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible and its content, and I don't mean that jokingly, if you don't know what Genesis 1 is about, it begins this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. From the very first verse of Scripture, God reveals Himself as Creator. 
So last year, as we read through Genesis 1 with the students, we did an exercise. We made two lists. Do you guys remember this? Maybe. We made two lists. On the left side of the whiteboard, that'd be this side for you. On the left side of the whiteboard, we made the first list. This was a list of all the actions that God took as he created the world. It was a long list. As we worked through the chapter together, the list contained things like God created the world out of nothing. God created by speaking. God's spirit hovered over the waters, bringing form to what was formless. God separated waters from waters. God named things. He called dry ground earth. He called waters that were gathered together seas. He made birds. He made fish. He made animals. Finally, God created man in his own image. And after about 10 or 15 minutes of listing all the things that God did as he created the world, we moved on to our second list. I drew a vertical line down the center of our whiteboard, and I asked the students to now, let's make a list of everything man did to help. It was a short list. In fact, it was an empty list. You know, this simple exercise taught us a simple foundational truth. God alone gets all glory for his creation. It is no different with God as Redeemer. You see, we could do the same exercise with Ephesians 1 through 3. And do you know what would we, we would find? A robust list of the works of God and one empty list of all man contributed to it. Just like the creation of the world, our redemption has been accomplished by the purpose, the word, the power, the action, the love, the determination, and the knowledge of God alone. And it is a glorious salvation. Now, if you don't have your Bibles open, open them back up to Ephesians for just a few minutes. Go ahead and turn to chapter 1. And let's just uh, trace through these chapters together without a whiteboard to look at, at what God has done in accomplishing our redemption in Christ. Now, I'm just going to show you the highlights, but if you really want to start to see this, I want to encourage you to do this exercise completely at home. I'm serious. Go home today before the big game. Sit down with your family and make two lists. Start at Ephesians 1 and make a list of everything God has done to accomplish our salvation. Work through it verse by verse. If you have a young family needing an idea for family devotions, this is it. Let's look at it. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Now look down at verse 4. God chose us before the foundation of the world. Verse 5. God predestined us for adoption to become his sons and daughters. He raised Christ from the dead 
Now I'm skipping a lot here. Look at chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. While we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ. Verse 8, God saved us by his grace through faith. And we say, yes, through faith. Finally, something we contributed to this great work. And just as we're about to start the second list, Paul stops us saying, and this faith is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. So that no one may boast. Folks, this pattern goes on and on and on in these verses. Our salvation is the work of God alone. And after three chapters of looking at our redemption in Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, according to the purpose and for the glory of God, Paul cannot contain himself anymore. He has already broken up his theological display twice to stop and pray that the Ephesians would believe it and comprehend it and experience it. This great love of Christ and this great salvation. But now, at the end of this second prayer in verse 20, he bursts into joyous praise to God when he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, According to this power that's at work within us, to him, to this great God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus from generation to generation forever and ever. Amen. I didn't feel that when I started writing this sermon. I wanted to, but I was not with Paul. You see, that's the problem that we want to look at this morning. Paul writes these verses and he bursts into praise. And sadly, many of us read them and we yawn. I want to see if I can help us. I want you to imagine the most beautiful, breathtaking place in God's creation that you have ever personally visited or seen a picture of or watched a movie about. Just think about that place for a moment. When you saw it, did you praise God? I think many of us probably did. We praised God as creator when we saw something so glorious and so marvelous that it made us feel tiny. Did Psalm 19 bubble to your lips? The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. I'm going to tell you mine. Sometime around, I guess it was 2018, Sarah and I flew to Jackson, Wyoming. Amen. <laughs> Give praise to God, Robert. Now, due to some flight delays, we were a day late and we were there late in the day. And we ran our bags back to the hotel and we decided to go on a drive in the rental car. To watch the sunset, I was not prepared. 30 minutes later, we found ourselves on the, the edge of a horse pasture in the Teton Valley. And as the sun set behind the cathedral peaks, I don't know if it was actually behind them under the left, but the, the, the color in the air, 
as the sun set, with those glorious mountain peaks above, the greatness of God's creation, and, and seemingly wild horses grazing only feet in front of us. I remember thinking, this is the most beautiful and most peaceful moment I've ever experienced. And I glorified God for this creation. I did. And yes, Psalm 19 bubbled to my lips. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the skies proclaim his handiwork. I praise God in that moment for his creativity, his power, and his glory in creation. I wasn't coaxed into this praise. I wasn't guilted into it. I was compelled to praise him. It was an involuntary response to the glory of God in creation. Paul has stood before the mystery now revealed in the gospel of grace and looking down the corridor of time and eternity, he has seen the glory of God in redemption. And like a man standing at the base of the Tetons, Paul is overcome with praise. Thanksgiving and hope. You see, if we truly understood, if we comprehended the glory of God in accomplishing our salvation for us, because of the great love with which he loved us, I believe we would too. I believe with Paul this morning, we would burst into praise to God for all he has done to accomplish our salvation in Christ. But sadly, I know we struggle to see it. So many of us are still bogged down with guilt and pressure, thinking that God will only love us and save us if we measure up. Friend, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, but you still struggle to believe the love of God for you, let me say this. Your weakness is no match for his power. Your fear is no match for his comfort. Your loneliness is no match for his love. And your sin is no match for this redemption. You know, earlier I said there's only one point I want to make this morning. And here it is. You had no more to do with accomplishing your redemption than you did tying the rings around Saturn. Creation was the work of one, and he gets the glory for it. Redemption is the work of one, and he gets all the glory for it. And I'm just telling you, I think for some people in this room or watching at home, this is the first time you've ever heard this. You may have had some religion, but you have not had Christ. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard it, but you, you haven't comprehended it. Or maybe you've heard it and you've comprehended it and you just can't believe it. You know, some things seem too good to be true. This would fit that category, wouldn't it? And even now, you may be asking, wait, my salvation is a work of God? 
Yes. Start to finish? Yes. Because he loved me and not because I measured up? Yes. God in Christ, by the power of his Holy Spirit, according to the purpose of his will and his love, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. This is Ephesians 1 through 3. You see, this doxology of Paul, it stands as a gateway. It's a gateway between what we call the indicative and the imperative sections of this letter. Oh, the theology lesson continues. If you're not familiar with those terms, the indicative and the imperative, let me explain. The indicative portions of Scripture tell us what is true. They tell us what is true. And the imperatives, they tell us what to do because of what is true. I mean, one of the best places in the whole Bible to see this at work is where? The Ten Commandments, right? You know, in Sunday school, when I was a kid growing up, we memorized the commandments. Glad we did. But in our memorization of these commandments, the imperatives, we were robbed of something. We were robbed of the indicative. You see, the commandments do not begin with, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the imperative. They begin with these words, Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Indicative. Because I'm your God, and I have redeemed you and rescued you from your bondage and given you a new life, live like this. Imperative. Ephesians is no different. Because of the great love with which God has loved you, yes, I will repeat it, and because of the great redemption He has accomplished for you, live like this. That's the message of Ephesians. Now I want you to understand why I'm driving this point into the ground. Next week, Jimmy will begin preaching Ephesians 4. And it begins this way, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Friend, if you do not come to grips with the fact that God has already accomplished your salvation, if you don't learn this and learn to love Him for it, if you don't learn to give glory to God for such a great salvation, Chapters 4 through 6 will crush you. It will just become more stones in the backpack of self-justification. And for some of you, it's a burden you've been carrying your whole life. If you miss the indicative of God's great salvation, His imperatives will just seem like more burden on an already burdened soul. <laughs> but if you see the glory of God in your redemption, accomplished before the foundation of the world, chapters 4 through 6 will be such a blessing. It's freedom. Freedom in Christ.
God will give you the want to to obey him. Later in the letter, Paul will call this obedient life in Christ walking in love. Does that sound like a burden? I mean, I remember walking with my wife, you know, when we were courting. There was no labor in walking with her. I was walking in love. Down the beach, up a mountain trail, because I knew she loved me. So walking with her was a pleasure. Paul will call this obedient life walking in love. And you may say, Eric, this all sounds great. It really does. But you do not know the struggle I have with sin. I just don't see how I will ever learn to walk in a manner worthy of this calling. Here's the exposition. Are you ready? He is able. Oh, he is able. He is able to do far more abundantly in you according to the power of the Holy Spirit that's at work within you to teach you to walk according to this high calling. Think about it. Far more abundantly. You know, Paul could have said, God is able. He could have even said, God is abundantly able. He could have said, he's more than abundantly able. I mean, the, it's almost ridiculous, this list of modifiers. But Paul says, God is able to do far more abundantly than anything we think or ask. And he will do it by the power of his Holy Spirit that has been at work within us. So I hope even now, because we have viewed this great salvation in Christ and believed it is ours, we can enthusiastically join in this doxology with Paul. Would you stand with me? And let's end this portion of our worship service and let's, let's recite Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 together. Lord, help us believe it and feel it. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.